I'm going to jump right into our passage. I'll be reading Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 from the NIV. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both to them, both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are to being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his May the Lord open our hearts, minds, and imaginations as we receive this word. The word new has been rolling around in my mind for quite some time, uh, more so since the pandemic started. New creation, new imagination, new life, new image of the household of God, one new humanity. I struggle with new. This part of Paul's letter, combined with many of the things I've seen and read over the last three years, has convinced me that I suffer from what theologian and scholar Dr. Willie James Jennings calls an anemic social imagination. I have struggled with anemia physically, especially after our youngest was born and it was difficult to say the least. The last three years of ministry in a pandemic has shown me that I also suffer from anemia socially, theologically, and missionally. Anemia is common in the US. It's a condition in which our bodies lack enough healthy red blood cells to carry adequate oxygen to our body's tissues. And having anemia can make you feel tired and weak, and it can dull the senses and lead to chronic health issues. I contend 
that an anemic social imagination can have a similar impact on the church, making her tired, weak, and dull, and prone to chronic health issues. Perhaps these symptoms are why we have social media groups like Preachers with Sneakers, in which preachers show off their $1,500 Yeezys, that's $1,500 tennis shoes for those of you who may not know what Yeezys are, and perhaps there's a correlation between these symptoms and the popularity of the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, or the documentary series that just came out, Hillsong, a mega church exposed. In the absence of a healthy social imagination and a healthy body and a new way forward, we do at least two things. Focus on material signs of health and wealth or one of my favorite anemic spiritual practices, finding solace in at least having better imaginations than those people whose chronic health issues are on public display. On the whole, we seem to be experiencing somewhat of a crisis when it comes to imagining something new as a church. In fact, it seems that church coffee shops have been the most imaginative thing that we have come up with to navigate church decline in the new missional era. The problem is most of us can get coffee in better places outside of the church. The COVID-19 pandemic has further put our anemic, social, theological, and missional imagination on display. I'm sure you've already heard and probably hear this week the sobering Barna research that 30% of adults have left church during the pandemic, or that 38% of full-time pastors have considered leaving ministry in the last year. The body of Christ in America is suffering with chronic health issues. According to many recent articles and podcasts, um, many of those young people and many who have parted the church say that the political response of 80% of white evangelicals over the last several years, the way that the church at large has responded to recent movements centered on race and racism and gender inclusion and the treatment of our LGBTQ plus siblings and the cavalier attitude towards the environment and the response to COVID-19 have not helped. Altogether, these things make it seem, they make it feel like we are all so far away from one another. And I wonder if Christian intimacy is possible in our time. I wonder, is a new and healthier imagination in our future? And yet, I can't read this part of Paul's letter and not think about that line. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In this passage, I think Paul just might be addressing the social imagination of both those who were Jewish and those who were Gentile. After all, their social imagination was formed inside centuries of theological and social training, Genesis 17, 
Deuteronomy 28, 1 Kings 8, Isaiah 5 and 57. Those people were far off. Those people are different. Those people are uncircumcised. Our brother Paul has had time to think about this message to the Ephesians while sitting in prison. And I wonder if prison is exactly where God needed and wanted this former zealot to be. If not a pandemic, perhaps prison was the place where God could work on and through this man who was once prone to violence against the very people he is now charged with including in the marvelous joining mission. I also wonder if while in prison, Paul is suffering from physical anemia as he reflects on his anemic social and spiritual self when he was Saul. When he too was afflicted with spiritual anemia to the point of being obsessed with hunting down, persecuting, and murdering the Gentiles, that he is now, because of the marvelous joining work of the Spirit, tasked with imagining into the new household of God as Paul. And here in this text, Paul takes us down into the depths of our anemia, into the depths of our weakness and feelings of powerlessness and fear by using the derogatory language of circumcised and uncircumcised. The seduction of othering is powerful when the symptoms of an anemic social imagination are on display. How many times has our simplistic and derogatory description of someone revealed how we really feel about them and how much we really understand about the kingdom? But in Christ Jesus, you who were once overcome with an anemic social imagination, you who were excluded, and you who were guilty of excluding others, all of us, Paul says, have an ironclad hope in the blood of Christ. God is doing a new thing through Christ. And according to Paul, in the new, pronouns are important. You becomes our. In Christ, we find peace and unity, not uniformity, but unity. The, div the dividing wall of hostility is destroyed by Christ, and now it must be destroyed by us as we build something new together. We are one new humanity, reconciled to God and one another through the death of Jesus on the cross. Our new collective imagination begins at the cross, both for those who were far away and for those who are near. Access to God comes not through the law, but by the one spirit, and you and me becomes our and us. In this part of Paul's letter, um, his imagination takes him past to the past, an image in Isaiah 57, an image of the Jewish people approaching the temple in Jerusalem. Only now, his imagination, excited and infused with the sacrificial love of Christ, he envisions something new. Jewish believers, those who were near, and Gentile believers, those who were far away, 
approaching the temple together and somehow arriving at the same time and becoming a new entity. And if Paul can imagine these two groups arriving at the temple together, why can't we? And who do we need to imagine ourselves arriving with today? But how? Dr. James Jennings says, the church should be the place that suspends the worry of how multiple peoples may join together, not by avoiding such complexity, but through showing a collective body moving, living, and struggling to form a space of life and love together. Indeed, the joining of multiple peoples is born of the desire of the Spirit and enabled as we, only as we yield to the Spirit and turn towards one another in relentless embrace. It makes sense for Paul to be the one to write this letter to the church, doesn't it? He went from being a Pharisee hell-bent on persecuting Christians to being a Jewish believer in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. And he is now fully committed to following the Spirit in God's redemptive joining mission, no matter where or to whom it takes him. He was once a builder of the wall of hostility, but now, post-Damascus Road, post-fortifying blood of Christ, post-resurrection, as a prisoner now wearing the chains he once tried to put on others because of their faith in Jesus, Paul writes of destroying the dividing wall. Creating unity and maintaining and celebrating diversity and destroying the wall of hostility is difficult work. It became Paul's work, and it's still our work as followers of Jesus today. And I am doubtful that this work is possible for Christians stuck within the confines of an anemic social imagination. When I had anemia after our daughter was born, I often felt a sense of hopelessness, and I find that hopelessness also comes with an anemic imagination. So it gives me hope to read Paul's words and see that extremists can change, even religious extremists. It gives me hope to know that violent extremism and ethnocentrism can meet its undoing in Christ and in partnership with the Spirit. That violent faith and belief in one's own religious, racial, or national supremacy can crumble on a road and that a life can change. It gives me hope to hear Paul pronounce from prison that our imaginations are not limited to the flesh, but are full of potential because of the Spirit. Consequently, the language that Paul uses to help us deconstruct our anemic imagination is constructive. He uses the language of building a household of faith a foundation, a cornerstone, a dwelling. We are now part of an intimate yet welcoming household built by fellow citizens, no longer strangers. But how do we join together distinct people groups, sometimes even enemies, in order to become one household, joined together to become a holy temple, collectively engaged, 
in the redemptive joining mission of God. Jennings says it plain, plainly, it's not possible without yielding to the Spirit. Our imaginations will change like Paul's did when we learn to yield to the Spirit and to one another. We, when we make a way for others, when we build bridges and remove barriers instead of erecting them. The Holy Spirit makes this building possible not by totalizing the members of the household, not by making us all the same, but by joining us together, our distinctness and uniqueness intact. Paul tells the Ephesians that God is doing something new, joining the Judean and Gentile peoples together. This is the mission of God and the mission that the early believers were called to join, revealing the diverse household of God and sharing the marvelous invitation to build together. All are invited to repent, to change our hearts and lives, to learn to break bread with one another, to follow Christ, to build. This diverse household joined together reveals a glimpse of the kingdom of God, and this is still our mission today. Sadly, we haven't made it happen yet. And as we know from Paul's letters and from our own experiences, this new way of being is difficult. Yielding to the Spirit requires that we loosen our grip, embrace discomfort, decenter ourselves, center others, and show curiosity towards one another. It requires that we embrace a new way of being that weaves our unique stories and identities together. And in so doing, God uses us to reveal a glimpse of the near and coming kingdom. This passage reminded me of our brother Timothy. You remember Timothy from Acts 16? You may remember that his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. His mother was a believer, and the text does not indicate that his father was. Though anxiety abounded throughout Acts because of Jewish exile, and though their fear around the thought of losing their identity was palpable, somehow a Jewish woman and a man who was Gentile joined together, created a household, and gave us our brother, Timothy. My own mother is Hispanic, and my father is Caucasian. My mother is Catholic, and my dad is Methodist. In many ways, they're as different as can be. And though their families didn't like it at first, and fear of identity loss was real, somehow, 46 years ago, these two very different people joined together, created a household, and learned to yield to one another and to celebrate the uniqueness of both of their families. Throughout my life, I have wondered, am I white or am I Hispanic? I think that's because my anemic imagination has me stuck in an either-or framework. The truth is, like Timothy, I am both and. The both and household that Paul describes here in Ephesians 2, Timothy's presence was important to the joining mission that he and Paul were on because Timothy was not either or. He was both and. He was a Jewish, Gentile, Christian. Timothy was a physical manifestation of God's preferred and promised future 
a walking, talking visual aid for their joining mission. Now, please don't hear me saying that the solution to our hostility and our lack of unity and our anemic social imaginations is interracial marriage. Though in my case, I've learned to be thankful for it. Instead, what I am saying is that God was doing a new thing in Acts 16 and in Ephesus, and God is still doing a new thing today. We, the church, just need to learn to yield to the Spirit and be part of it. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Brothers, sisters, friends, and fellow builders, our faith tells us that it's possible for us to embrace our both and heritage. This is the work of the Spirit for those led by the Spirit, the work that the Spirit is doing through Christ and intends to do through the church for the sake of the world. In this text, Paul is writing as one with an expanding imagination, as one in the process of transformation to a diverse group of people in desperate need of a new imagination and transformation. Paul and the church are right in the process of conversion in Ephesians. And I submit to you this morning that the church should be in a continual state of conversion, learning to practice a redemptive and self-giving way of being and building together and embracing the gift of a both and existence. The church led by the spirit should always be a church with an expanding imagination, especially when it comes to the world which God loves. Fellow builders, may we be in a continual process of conversion as people of God, all of us brought near by the blood of Christ. May we embrace our both and heritage. May the Spirit heal us of our spiritual anemia and help us develop new and expanding imaginations that reflect God's boundary-breaking and redemptive work in the world. May we yield to the Spirit a little more each day until we learn what it truly means to turn towards one another to our neighbors in relentless embrace. May we surrender to the Spirit's design for the church, which still exists for the sake of the world that God loves. Will you bow with me? Holy God, thank you for this day. Thank you for sending your Son to walk in the flesh among us, fully human. Give us the courage to step outside of our human-made walls of hostility. Give us, God, a better church imagination. Reveal to us the places where we fall short in our church walk. God, give us the imagination to build together as a dwelling for the work of your spirit in our own communities. Amen. I invite you to stand and let's read this closing together out loud. As the wise men from the east offered you their best, so may we honor you, O Lord, with our highest creativity and finest energies. As you turned the water into wine at Cana, so come to your people 
and use us to change human tears to joyful song. As you were baptized to fulfill all righteousness, so may we humbly do your will. As you gave light to those who followed you on earth, so be our light as we follow you on city streets or country roads. Be revealed among us in power, in word, and in places where we live, work, and worship. Glory be to you, O God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning, and we're dismissed.